Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. commanded us saying that I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth and when the Gentiles heard this they began to rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed so even though they were not transported to that time remember this is 20 30 years after the event or so 15 years after the event is they did not publicly see it but it was publicly betrayed And this was the message that they had heard, believed, and received. You can see why Paul would be perplexed. Hence he calls them foolish, which means senseless, inconsiderate, and unwise. He asked them, who has bewitched them, which meant to slander, or to put a spell on, or to be deluded. I believe Paul is alluding to the work of Satan that he writes of in 2 Corinthians when he says, and even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, It's veiled or hidden to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In other words, hey, are you saved or are you not? Your eyes have been opened. Why are you acting like you have not been enlightened? Why are you acting as an unbeliever? Paul has declared before that he knows nothing but Christ crucified. And his message has been simple and very consistent. He says, we preach Christ, Christ crucified. I know nothing but Christ crucified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached. He says, for I deliver to you as first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures. Somebody writes, O foolish Corinthians, who has bewitched you? The answer is very simply, you know the truth. Why are you acting like you don't? Why aren't you holding fast to the truth? In verse number 2, we get the second question where he goes on to say, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul is not asking here whether or not they've received the Spirit or whether or not they're Christians. He assumes that they have received the Spirit and they are a part of God's family. You must remember that the Judaizers believe that circumcision was necessary to belong to the family of God. However... Paul is now stating that having the Spirit is the true mark or the true branding of belonging to God's family. For he says, did you receive the Spirit by works or by hearing of faith? You see, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, is a sign that one belongs to God. As he writes in Romans, you, however, are not in the flesh when he speaks of believers. But you are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. But listen to what he says. 
anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Him. So in essence, the Jews who thought, well, see, I'm circumcised. See, I don't eat fish, and I don't eat pork, and I do all these things. They say, see, this marks me as a member of God's family. However, they were deluded. For it was not that mark, for they were without the Holy Spirit. For only in the Spirit can one say that Jesus is Lord. And so Paul is saying, listen, you have the Spirit. This is not something new to you. You know that He lives within. You recognize that that is the mark of whether or not one belongs to the family of God. In fact, Paul is saying you would be fools if they had not received the Spirit. For Paul writes to the Corinthians that we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God. And what he says to the Corinthians is still true from you and I. For those of us that profess Christ, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but we received the Spirit of God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. Paul goes on to write to them that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, they are foolish to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So for you and I, as we open up God's Word and we're able to understand it, discern it, and apply to our lives, that's the Spirit that does that work. So Paul is saying, wait a second, you've got the Spirit, what are you thinking about? That's the true mark of one who is with God. You see, it's also the Holy Spirit that authenticates and guarantees our salvation. As we continue to read Scripture, when Paul says, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And He has anointed us, and He has also put His seal on us, and He's given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So Paul asks a basic question. You have the Spirit. How did you receive it? Did you get the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Was a good question. How does one receive the Holy Spirit? When Paul writes of the works of law, we must be reminded, as I shared with you last week, that the works of the law is a phrase that means doing all that the law requires. But let me ask you, can we do all that the law requires? No. We're seeing this in Sunday school. What is Paul going to tell us later in Galatians? That if you fail in one part of the law, you fail all of it. It would be like us to give you a math test. And maybe the math test said 613 questions. Let's just pull a number out of the air. And so there's 613 math questions. And you've got to show all your work, and it all happens to be long division, because we all love long divisions with decimal points, Right? I know you guys are getting it exciting. So say that's what God says. This is what I want you to do. And as we're working through, we think we're doing well. We get all these shortcuts. We devise all these ways to make sure that we have the right answer. God goes to judge it, and he finds out that number 31 is wrong. And we think, boy, out of 613, man, that's still got to be you know, 97 98%. And by the way, I'm not doing the math for sure, so don't correct me on that. I only got one wrong. I passed. What does God say in that analogy? He failed the whole test. 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law? And what's the answer? A rhetorical question. What's the answer? No. No, of course not. The Spirit does not come by the works of the law. It comes with hearing with faith. Hearing with faith speaks of trusting the message of the Christian faith. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 10? Again, I'll encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, would you see please please see me or Dustin or one of the staff members and we'll make sure we can give you a Bible. We have several that we'd like to share with you. Please don't leave today if, you've never ha- if you don't have one to read during the week. But in Romans chapter 10, in this letter to the Church of Rome, Paul writes that faith only comes by hearing the gospel. So the only way to get the Spirit is through faith, and the only way to get through faith is hearing the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 12. Paul writes, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. What is that saying right there to the Judaizers? Hey, you're wet. Go pound sand. There's no distinction. What's good for the Jew is good for the Gentiles and vice versa. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. Verse 13. Great verse. You ought to memorize this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But verse 14 asks a good question. How then will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Obviously, right there is the motivation for us to be sending out missionaries, to support them, to become missionaries ourselves. And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The fact that the Christians have received the Spirit shows that they are justified by faith instead of works. As he writes to the Ephesians, he writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So Paul answers the question. You have the Spirit. That's the true mark of a Christian. Very simply, how did you earn it? How did you receive it? Was it through your own devices, or was it truly a gift from God? Question number three. He goes on to ask, are you foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Here Paul is simply pointing out the fallacy of the Judaizers' argument of observing the law for salvation. He's already pointed out that no one is saved by works. If the Galatians have accepted Christ and received the Spirit by faith, why would you now move to works? Can works make you any better if it was not good enough to make you saved or to save you? How is it good enough to keep you saved? For it is not the guarantor and sealer of our, of our salvation, but the Holy Spirit. 
to do so, to move from the Holy Spirit to works, he says, or to move from faith to works, he said to do so would be paramount to admitting that faith is not enough and that the works of Christ is insufficient to not only save us, but to present us before the Father as pure and holy. Paul's saying, what are you doing? We can't start one way and finish. It's like you go home with the girl that you bring to the dance, right? You don't switch midway through. That's probably not the greatest analogy to use, but you kind of get the point. He says, if you start with the Holy Spirit, why would you go back to work in the flesh? And let me tell you, many churches do this. Many of us have grown up in those types of environments where, yes, salvation is by faith, but yet now I've got to live a certain way. I've got to cut my hair a certain way. I must look, talk, and act like a Christian, right? And this was the Christian is, and we put it in a box. Maybe some of you have experienced some pain and destruction through those types of things. Not that there's good ways to live. But we don't live by the flesh, we live by the Spirit. And so in that, Paul is saying, listen, what are you doing, you foolish Galatians? You stay with what got you there. The switch is to say that Christ is insufficient. And that's what the Judaizers were saying. And let me tell you, there are people today that are telling you the same way. They may not be saying be circumcised or eat the dietary laws, but what they're saying is, is you got to do this to be perfect. you got to do this. you got to send up this type of prayer. you got to give this type of money. And you've got you've to speak in tongues. And you've got to do all these other things to be perfected by the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, that's hogwash. That's hogwash. For it's by faith are we saved through faith. And that faith is what sustains us in our lives by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Which leads us then to question number four. For he goes on to say, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now Paul here is not saying that it was in vain. That's why he says, if indeed it was in vain. But you and I must put ourselves here in an early church New Testament place. Suffering for the New Testament early church member was in a constant state of suffering. You and I don't understand. I think we're starting to, to realize maybe the uncomfortableness a little bit of being a Christian in today's society. I think it's starting to prick at us a little bit, but maybe not uh, as much as it's going to be, obviously. But suffering was a constant state of being in the early church. They suffered from not only from religious Jews. As you look through Acts 13 and 14, you would see everywhere Paul went, the, the Jews would rise up and try to persecute them. From Paul to the church, they were always under constant attack. They were also under suffering persecution from the pagans, who thought that they were crazy, and from the Roman politicians who sometimes saw the sect, the way, as some type of thing that needed to be broken down. It was competition or something that might lead people away from Caesar hero worship. But they also suffered from even their own families. When Jesus said that accepting him, it would put father against mother and mother against father and son, child against parent, it was true. It could split families. 
Because it would devastate them because one would follow Christ and the other would reject Christ. They renounce the gospel of Christ and receive circumcision. Their suffering as a Christian had no purpose, is what Paul is saying. And he's warning them, are you truly a Christian? For a Christian will persevere through that type of suffering. They won't give in to that type of peer pressure, that type of fear. By the way, that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit helps us persevere. And to move to the flesh, we will find ourselves weak. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain? Why did you go through all that if you're just going to give up? Everything that you went through would be in vain. He then leads to question number five. And that's in verse 5, where he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul reminds them that God has supplied all that they were going to need for salvation. Not only has God sent the helper, but that also God has revealed himself by supernatural works and miracles through his apostles, as we saw in Acts 14. I don't know if your Bibles are real close, but in Acts chapter 14, and I'm not sure which verse it is, I didn't write that down, but it says, So they, Paul and Barnabas, remained for a long time in the area, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hand. If you were to go up to the last verse of chapter 13, after being driven out of one area, Luke tells us that Paul and Barnabas fled to Lystria and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there, he writes, they continued to preach the gospel. So what were they doing? Preaching the gospel. And the gospel real simply is, salvation is found in Christ in faith alone. Amen? That's the gospel. We've already shown what Paul preached. It's Christ crucified, and it's through Him is the forgiveness of sins. In Acts chapter 14, now 8 through 10, if you're there, you can read along with me, where he says in verse 8 of chapter 14, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Look at verse 9. He listened to Paul's speaking. Let me ask you, what do you think Paul is speaking? You sure it's the gospel? Maybe he's saying, hey... What you need to do is you need to plant a seed. If you would just buy this, I am going to give you this angel figurine, and I'm going to give you this little oil, and I'm going to give you this rag, and I want you to take this rag, and I want you to put it on whatever body part is hurting, and I want you to hold it on there and sleep with it. And then I want you to mail it in with your gift, and then we will pray over that rag, and you will be healed. Is that what Paul's message was? No. Paul preached what? He says, I know nothing but Christ crucified. And it's very easy to listen. So he listened, in verse 9, to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And what did the man do? He sprang up and began walking. See, God used great miraculous signs and wonders to show that he had the power and that Paul's message 
was life changing. Does he who supplied the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That man who heard it was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was a heathen dog. He was probably an outcast in society who was had to bring place to place so that he could beg daily for his food. But he listened. He wasn't circumcised. He wasn't following the dietary laws. He wasn't following the rest of the 613 rabbinical laws. He was a man who looked intently as he listened to Paul. And Paul said, this man through the Spirit needs Christ. And he was ready to receive it. Paul says, how does the Spirit come? It's through hearing by faith. So as we look at these five rhetorical questions in this passage, Paul frames his rebuke to the Galatians of the destructive influence of the Judaizers in the form of these rhetorical questions. They knew the answers. They just needed to be shook awake to the reality and to the truth that they already knew. He did not have to give them some new things that they had never heard, though he will continue in his defense of this. But first he starts, you know this. This is kindergarten stuff. You've received it. you believed it. you lived out what's going on with you. And to be honest, some of us are very much the same way. We understand Christ. We understand the message of faith, but yet our lives have just gone on in all sorts of different directions. In many cases, denying that the Spirit lives within us, and we live our lives as if the Spirit is no longer involved. Paul says, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Think of what you're doing. Paul seeks to remind them of what they already know. Salvation comes not by works, but by faith. And the mark of salvation is the gift of the Holy Spirit. I now like to talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't speak much about it, to be honest here. But in here, Paul says that's the mark of a believer. And so with that, for those of us who know Christ, profess Christ, that gift is there for you today. And the Scripture reveals that the Holy Spirit has a work in salvation. It is the Holy Spirit that calls us to Christ. He takes the message from my mouth and puts it in your ears and drives it deep into the heart. He's involved in regeneration and making us born again, of, of replacing our heart. He's involved in conversion as He grants us repentance and moves our hearts towards faith. And He also seals us as God's children and says we are His and that mark is there. From Scripture, we are told that the Holy Spirit empowers us by giving life. He empowers us for service. He purifies God's children. He reveals the truth, and He unifies the body of the Christ. The Holy Spirit, the forgotten person of the Trinity, is very important to us as children of God. We need to understand that. We need to embrace that. For when other people come with another gospel, it's the Spirit that will work in our hearts and say, accursed be that gospel. Accursed ought to be that message. For in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, Jesus promises disciples. 
He says, and when he, the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. In other words, the Spirit convicts or convinces us that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Savior, the Redeemer, the promised one of Genesis 3.15. He also convinces us of the futility of self-righteousness or trying to earn our way to salvation. It's futile. It will not get you anywhere. And He also convinces sinners that judgment is coming. That's the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And that's the salvation that you and I have come to. John chapter 16, 13 through 14, he went on to write, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, he writes, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Very simply, two things. The Spirit's role in our lives today is to guide us to the truth of the Scripture. In other words, there is no private interpretation of Scripture. It is what God says it is through the Spirit. It was the Spirit that was involved when it says that Scripture is God-breathed. It means the Scripture brought into remembrance, brought into mind those things which God wanted us to know. So he guides us to the truth of Scripture, and he points to and glorifies Christ. And that's an important mark today of the Holy Spirit, which is forgotten by many. Hence, you and I will know what a false gospel is, for a false gospel will not point to and glorify Christ. It will not point to the truth of Scripture, but it will distort it, it will defraud it, it will throw doubt on it, and it will crack it open and try to say something different. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. So today, you stand in the same way as the Galatians. You can imagine Jesus saying, what you foolish OBBCers, you've received the Spirit. Why don't you continue to live by the Spirit? Accept no substitutes, cling to the gospel, for it's by faith that we're saved, and it's by faith we should live out. For us today, this last one I want to share with you, so let me end by this, is that you and I need to rely on Christ's work on our behalf for salvation. See, that's what hearing with faith means. It's understanding that Christ has answered all 613 answers on that math task correctly and showed his work perfectly that's what it means is christ has done what we could not do and he is perfect in his obedience to the law secondly we're to persevere in the spirit in the midst of our suffering for when is it that you and i are encouraged or tempted to deny the gospel in our lives but in the midst of suffering in the midst of trials in the midst of tribulation When people come and challenge us, let me tell you, persevere in the Spirit. It's by faith are you saved, by faith we should live. Works has a play in that, but it's by faith, and the Spirit helps us persevere. 
And then thirdly, trust in the Spirit to help us to grow in holiness. We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us grow in holiness. Many of you, sometimes you feel convicted because you don't read your Bible enough, you don't go to church enough, you don't give enough, you're not good enough, you don't love enough, you don't forgive enough. Well, let the Spirit convict you, but also realize that the Spirit will come and He's the one that will fill up what's lacking in your obedience. We must trust that He is doing that work in us. Amen? Let us not be foolish, but let us trust and praise God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of God's people said, Amen. Father, we thank you for the Spirit. I pray that He would have free reign in this church. Let His mark be upon all of us. Lord, in a way that our lives are relying on You, are trusting in You, and Father, we just recognize that the Spirit will tell us all what Scripture has to say. Let us rely on that. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. And I pray that you would strengthen us this week to walk in that spirit. We praise the name of your Son. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.